Oh, a deep sigh from that incredible prelude. Thank you so much, Dr. Frank. Please, friends, join me in our responsive call to worship, which you find printed in your bulletin. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and you comforted me. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth.
Surely I will trust and not be afraid, for the choir is on our side. (laughs) Friends, please join me in our prayer of the day. Holy Holy Lord, Lord, God God of heaven and earth, teach us to adore you without constraint, to serve you without complaint, to be in awe of you without fear, and to recognize you where you are near. Surely you are the God who saves us. We will trust and not be afraid. For you, Lord, are our stronghold and our sure defense. And we praise your name forever. Amen. Friends and fellow sinners, surely it is also good to resign from both the excuse games and the blame games we tend to play to come clean and humbly confess our sins to God. Let us pray. God of interminable patience, we admit to you that we are not always as we would like to appear to others. Sometimes when we think we are being very clever, when we are being exceedingly foolish, we can even pretend to ourselves that we are being generous when we are being manipulative and self-seeking. We can be conniving and in that process lose our integrity even though we try to mime a bland exterior of righteousness. We have acted this way and more, and so we seek your forgiveness and rectifying influence in our daily lives. This is not the whole story, loving God. By your saving grace, which never ceases to work within us, we are also capable of loyal and loving deeds. We can be surprisingly kind generous, understanding, and courageous at considerable personal cost. We rejoice that your love has not been wasted on us, but mostly we implore your grace this morning, for doing your will is our most sacred desire. From our failures and sins, please cleanse and rehabilitate us by your Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ, and Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. Know that you are forgiven by his grace and be at peace. A reading from Isaiah 65. The prophet is speaking. For I'm about to create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. 
For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. I have the privilege and joy of inviting our young people up into the chancel. Come on up, guys. Hey, Graham, do you want to come say hi? Good morning. How are you doing, Wrights? Morning, Wilsons. Morning, sweethearts. Good morning, Jeruz. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Jenicaicuses. Good morning, Miss Irwin. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Jack, do me a favor. Go get my basket, please. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. Would you guys like to meet Lamb? Lamb's a little timid. As you can see, Lamb has big ears and hears everything, and Lamb is pretty sensitive. And frightens easily. So don't make Lamb scared. Lamb has every reason to be afraid when she sees this. What do you think it might be? A wolf. Oh, my goodness. So lamb's pretty timid. What do you think the wolf wants to do to the lamb? Eat it! Now, if, if we know that wolf wants to eat lamb, maybe you heard Pastor Bruce read for us today from the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah is written by the prophet Isaiah. Does anybody know what a prophet is? I'm glad you're answering honestly. A prophet is somebody who looks and says, this may be the way the world looks right now, but God tells me this is the way the world could look. So it's kind of like a fortune teller? Well, even better than a fortune teller, the prophet looks ahead and said, this is possible. The prophet is telling us in Scripture 
about a time when there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And the prophet paints a picture where there will be no fear. No fear at all. No sadness. So the lamb doesn't have to be afraid of the lamb, of the wolf. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. Yeah, the wolf will feed on the lamb. Well, you would think that the wolf would eat on the lamb, right? But the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, eat together. Can you imagine that? No. Can you imagine they're getting along? Now, with this basket of lambs, it's easy to imagine these lambs getting along because they look pretty much the same, right? They're all cuddly and fuzzy and big ears. Aren't they cute? They're really cute. But the wolf, the wolf looks different, doesn't it? Does it look different? Y'all looks different. Mr. Genekaikis, if the wolf looks different, do we think we have to be afraid of it because it looks different? No. Just because it looks different, it's still one of God's creatures, right? It's still precious in God's eyes. You guys aren't afraid of something that looks a little different from you, are you? I know. You don't have to be afraid of something that looks different. Imagine a time when all animals and all people are not afraid of those that look different. Imagine a time when the wolf will eat with the lamb. Imagine what it could be like if we could do that together. How many of you like films by Disney? Anybody like Disney films like Cinderella or Cars or Toy Story? Cinderella, is that one of your favorites, Miss Junikaikis? Yes, indeed. Your favorite? Sleeping Beauty is your favorite Disney film? Do you know what Disney said about these films? Walt Disney said, if you can dream it, you can do it. If you can dream it, you can do it. So if we can imagine that the wolf and the lamb could eat together as the prophet painted for us, do you think that we, if we see different people, could be at peace and not afraid together? Yeah, look. Look how much you guys are just playing together, right? No need to be afraid. You all are so courageous. That is wonderful. Since you all, since you all know how wonderful the wolf and the lamb can be together, let's pray together, shall we? Let's pray together. Dear God, dear God, how much we give you thanks for making us different. How much we give you thanks for showing us that there is a way that we can be together. Showing us a way that we don't have to be afraid. Showing us a way that your kingdom can be right here on earth. Amen. Now you guys get to go spend some time in the kingdom. Have a great time in the kingdom.
reading from the second letter of Thessalonians, chapter 3. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves knew how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, Anyone unwilling to work shall not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not weary in, what, in doing what is right. Please join me in our responsive collect. There is a mighty question we ask when nations rage. Just when will be Christ's coming, the ending of the age? Take care, said Jesus clearly, for many will appear. They'll claim to be Messiah, yet people should not fear. For in the days of Noah, the people went along in eating and in drinking, in merriment and song. Then suddenly the world changed with great surprising power. So too will be Christ's coming, and no one knows the hour. Luke 21. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will all this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And Jesus said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. And then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all of this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. They will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish, and by your endurance you will gain your own souls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So keep awake and watchful. Salvation is at hand. Our hope is in Christ Jesus, and by God's grace, we stand. The night's almost over. We wait for God's new day, and through the Holy Spirit, we follow Jesus' way. Be ready.
Well, the choir gave us a real good reason to try a new hymn once in a while, didn't they? Sing a new song. One of my research assistants is called Google. And according to Google, there are only seven communities worldwide with the name Utopia. And six of them are in the United States. Actually, though, the statement is misleading. The Utopia in Kansas is now a ghost town. And the ones in Florida, New York, and Illinois have been subsumed into larger communities that now have other names. A few people live in what was Utopia, Ohio, but the community by that name is now a historical memory. And Utopia, Texas is still there, though with a population of less than 250 people. The one that's not in the United States is in New South Wales, Australia. And it seems to be little more than a dot on the map. It's perhaps significant that no utopias have ever really thrived. Now, the word utopia was coined by Sir Thomas More in 1516. He used it as a name of a fictional island that had a separate society in a novel that was published entitled On the Best State of a Republic and on the New Island of Utopia. Now his book depicted a communal society where everything was shared and everyone benefited. To name the island, the, uh, the author, Moore, combined two Greek words, topos, which means place or where, and the word u, which means no or not. So if we translate the name of utopia, literally we call it nowhere or not place. His book was a satirical criticism of the European society of his day. Among Moore's targets were the House of Royal prerogative and the land enclosure practices that worked against the common good, both of which were major societal problems in the 16th century of England. In Moore's book, they were in contrast to the uncomplicated society of utopias. Today, in keeping with Moore's original meaning, utopia denotes an imagined place, a state of things where everything is perfect. We have lots of synonyms in English, paradise, Shangri-La, Nirvana, heaven on earth. Most of us would conclude that such a place or society is not achievable among humankind. And the etymology of the word, literally meaning nowhere or not place, really explains this. So I went to one of my offices. People think I have an office at church. I also have one at Starbucks. And sometimes I just walk up to people and speak to them if they're sitting alone, just trying to strike a conversation. And uh, so I asked this one individual, do you know where we could find utopia? And they said to me, utopia is nice to think about, but on earth you're not going to find it because wherever and whenever a human being enters a paradise, paradise is lost. 
I thought, well, they're right. But in the decades preceding the Civil War, a certain idealism among some people led to the founding of communities called Utopia because the founders were intent on trying to create societies as close to perfect as they could. Ohio's Utopia, for example, established in 1844 by the followers of a French philosopher, Charles Fourier, who called for intentional communities based on equal sharing of resources and labor. It was kind of a communistic approach to things. And the people who came to Utopia were spiritualists who wanted a secluded area to practice their form of religion. The town was on the banks of the Ohio River, and unfortunately, many of its settlers died in a flash flood in 1847. The survivors moved away, and there are people living in the area today, but they are not communalists, and the town as such is limited to just a historical marker from the state of Ohio that tells about the flood. And then at the bottom of the marker it says, thus the idea of the perfect society or utopia died. Now here's the thing. No community founded to be a true utopia, whether using that name or not, has really continued to exist as such. And it's ironic that the town in Texas named Utopia is still a living community because it's one utopia that wasn't founded on a utopian principle. Its early residents simply chose that name because the name that they really wanted, Montana, Texas, was already taken. A failure of utopian societies to survive can cause us to read Isaiah 65 with a very jaundiced eye. For that passage describes a divine remaking of the city of Jerusalem where the old problems will be no more, there will be no more weeping, no more sounds of distress, no infant deaths, no fruitless work. It will be a place of joy. Every adult will have a long, fruitful lifespan. And in this new Jerusalem, the residents will not worry about encroachment or threats from each other or from other nations. Even the wild animals will peacefully coexist and God will anticipate all of their needs and will answer their prayers even before they are uttered. That's what he described. Now the audience for this prophecy was the post-exilic community of Jews. They had returned to their homeland, but they found the going hard. The land was in shambles. Other people were now living in their homes, squatters. Their neighbors were resentful, their fortunes linked to a foreign power that now ruled over them. So this prophecy, if they believed it, was simply to keep some sense of hope alive. But for how long? We know from history that this vision, as stated in Isaiah, was never realized for these returnees. The prophecy then, if it is to still have any power, had to refer to some state to come. 
And indeed, the New Testament speaks of the kingdom of God, which is not completely here yet, at least not in any fully realized way, but which is still promised to come. And in that paradigm, this passage from Isaiah is an Old Testament preview of that kingdom. If it was to be so long in coming, so far beyond the lifetime of any of those alive when the prophecy was spoken, why in the world was it even given in the first place? We have no answer. We don't know. But there's something about utopias that might point us in the right direction. A 2014 BBC column that referenced Moore's fictional island, Utopia, commented, the fantastical air of his invented Don place with its bizarre social mores and customs should not blind us to the very immediate polemical purpose it served. This was a fictional intended to affect immediate change in the realm of the real. That's confusing, isn't it? He's really saying it was an idea, a vision of what might be to keep us living. Now we know from the other references in the Old Testament that utopia-like prophecies to the post-exilic community did, in fact, inspire members of that community to effect immediate change. You mean read it in Zechariah, for example, particularly Zechariah chapter 8, and his preaching along with the fellow prophet Haggai, from which we read last week. It was all instrumental. They got to work and rebuilt the temple. They started construction, then construction quit, and the prophets encouraged them with a vision of hope. But that was then. And this is today. What purpose might this utopian vision in Isaiah have for us who read the Bible now? Well, I think that for one thing, it should have the same impact as does the Lord's Prayer. How many times in this very room have we prayed, Thy kingdom come? And it's not talking about just heaven or some realm in the afterlife. We are actually praying that the full reign of God as sovereign of this world will occur now. So that right here on earth, people will treat one another as God wants them to be treated. And that holy living by everyone will be a foregone conclusion. Thy kingdom come. Is that a pipe dream of utopia? I mean, human nature seems too unreliable. Human greed, too strong. Self-centeredness, so epidemic. Acts of humanity, inhumanity are, are too much a part of our human fabric. Many of the same sins people committed 4,000 years ago still committed today. 
So where is there any evidence that we are any closer to that goal that God's will be done? I want to offer a brief parenthesis here. Why in the world are we reading from Isaiah 65 today anyway? Um, Over the past few weeks, we had a sign up here and it was purchased in a big box store and every Sunday we went through one of the commands on the sign. We went looking through the Bible to see if the Bible had anything to say about what was on the sign. And so one week it was uh, be grateful, the next was work hard, then it was enjoy life and keep your promises. And then we went looking for the biblical text that related to those phrases on the sign. You know, sometimes uh, pastors will preach their way through a book of the Bible. The most famous of those are to preach through the book of Romans, which is heavy with theology and puts most congregations to sleep. Uh, I, I maintain that Sunday is always a win-win proposition. Either you are wonderfully challenged or you wake up delightfully refreshed. So it's all good. Uh, a lot of pastors like to preach through Ephesians. Every Sunday is a series of verses. We read the first ten verses, and then we read the next ten, and we talk about them. But throughout history, the Christian church has developed a lectionary, a series of readings from the Old Testament and from the New to be read on a Sunday. It was actually the Jewish Talmud that claims the practice of a reading appointed scriptures for particular days. And eventually that got assumed some of those readings into the Christian church who then added readings from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and then from the other letters of Paul. And first thing you know, we had, by the year 452 A.D., established a reading cycle of the Bible on Sundays. And then along came the Reformation, And people began to change the reading cycle. Presbyterians kind of gravitated to the Heidelberg Catechism and began to preach every Sunday from the questions, uh, 52 of them, every Sunday from the Heidelberg Catechism. And that became the reading cycle. And then we had Vatican Council from 1962 to 1965, and the Roman Catholic Church kind of set a three-year pattern as a reading cycle. And the Protestants of all kinds got together and looked at this and said, that's a very good reading cycle. We ought to adopt that. And it was. Over 30 denominations in the United States and around the world said that shall be our reading cycle too. And it just so happens that on this Sunday, the Old Testament lesson is Isaiah 65. That's why we read it. We decided, let's go back to the lectionary for the rest of the year. (laughs) This week, this was not the first time this passage was read, by the way. We read this passage at the session meeting. Now, our elders here met on Tuesday night. And you know what was going on on Tuesday night. And by the time the meeting broke up, we didn't know what was gonna, who was going to be the president. And we read about this utopian vision, and one of our elders said, 
This Isaiah passage sounds like a campaign speech. And we thought about it and we said, yeah, it does. It holds up a utopian view to give people hope. One of the people who showed us the power of utopian vision was Martin Luther King Jr., especially in his famous I Have a Dream speech delivered in Washington, D.C. in 1963. Because of that speech, America was more informed about racism. But his enunciation of his dream of how things should be inspired so many people to work toward changing things in our country for the better, and it still carries that kind of power. In fact, a lot of the progress on racial issues that have been made in America owes inspiration to that speech. I mean, there's a long way to go before King's dream becomes a full reality. But that doesn't mean that no one should ever try and state a dream. Certainly not. For it keeps us dissatisfied with the way things are and keeps us prodding to make things the way things ought to be. And in the same sense, the description of the kingdom of God needs to be held for us as well. And Isaiah 65 is one of the places where the word of God holds up a dream toward which God's people should aspire. We who worship God from glimpsing the intention for the future worship a God who has a great idea for us. The world could be different. Will we make the world perfect? I think only God can really do that. But we can try to live differently in a way that tries to make the world the way God intended it. We can't do it without flaws. It won't be utopia. But when we say thy kingdom come, we're looking for a vision that helps us to translate the vision of Isaiah into something that is real. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We say on earth. We don't say, thy will be done as it is in not place or nowhere. May it be so. Together, let's use this printed prayer. God of amazement and wonder, you have been preparing the way for us throughout time. You sent people like Isaiah and Paul to guide our spiritual journey, and you have blessed us with your constant presence in our lives by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes confused, but often in awe, we watch the everyday miracles experienced all around us. All things are possible with you, O God. We trust that this offering will foster the miracles and the possibilities that you have in store for Pittsburgh and upstate New York. Bless these gifts and those who have given them for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
may be seated. We have a couple of things that uh, we thought you'd be interested in learning about. And Rob, you're our treasurer. We'd like to have a report about what happened last week. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we are most thankful for the 165 pledges that we received uh, last week. Uh, Total is about $413,000. Uh, it's just slightly behind where we were at this point last year, about 435000 and does represent about uh, two-thirds of the total amount that was raised in our entire 2016 campaign. Um, the generosity team will be following up uh, and contacting those folks who have pledged in, in prior years. Um, and so we do encourage you, if you have not already done so, to complete a commitment card or go online uh, to express your desire to support our church in 2017. Um, it does help us in our preparation of the 2017 budget uh, by having the information available. And in doing so, please remember to indicate your desire to help the church not only financially, but with your time and talent. And as Bruce mentioned last week, also perhaps indicate how you can help loving generously one to another. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. I know Lee Fox has a special announcement to bring to us as well. Good morning. Good morning. This morning I was already planning to come to you with an invitation. And then yesterday, while I was walking my dog, I saw the notices that neighbors in Brighton and Pittsburgh have been talking about. The notices have a white supremacist website noted on them, and they have a rock attached so that they can be thrown onto our driveways. So now the invitation is a personal invitation to all in our community and to all of you. Pittsford Forward, or Pitts Forward, is hosting a community meeting tomorrow evening, Monday, uh, November 14th, at the Spiegel Community Center at 7 o'clock. Supervisor Bill Smith will be there, and there will be an update from a sheriff's, uh, Monroe County Sheriff's deputy regarding their investigation into these flyers or notices in the Caversham neighborhoods, Chatham Woods, Knollwood, and many others that have been um, blanketed in both Pittsburgh and Brighton. Please invite your friends and neighbors to, event, to attend this community meeting. A community conversation will follow at 7.30, facilitated by Brighton residents, resident and social worker Michael Boucher. Some of you may know Michael. He's a social worker at St. Joseph's Neighborhood Center, and his wife Lynn was our host at Nazareth when we worshiped there after our fire. Child care will be provided so that all who wish may attend. Mark 12 recounts that one of the scribes came up and heard the Sadducees disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no other commandment greater than these. Thy kingdom come. Thanks, Lee. If you flip through your bulletin, you're going to see that this is a really busy week here at uh, First Presbyterian Church. Um, There's a special class on Jesus to Constantine today. The Mosaic of Peace will be happening this week, and you can learn about that. Uh, I hope that you take notice of the Habitat the HIP house, the Habitat in Partnership, that will be dedicated before we worship again. Um, and at the time next Sunday, there'll be an Advent brunch. That hardly seems possible to me, that we are that close to Advent. So there'll be a luncheon for everybody after worship uh, next Sunday. We invite you to come. And next Sunday, we're going to be helping people know each other's names a little bit. So there'll be name tags available for folks. And you have a few other things you want to explain too, Carrie, like the flowers up here from Weddingen. Yes, indeed. Those flowers are given in celebration of David David Ann Ferris's youngest son's wedding to Sarah last weekend in Washington, D.C. And we're also giving thanks and praise. James, the cat's out of the bag. Your birthday's tomorrow, so happy birthday. We're also giving thanks and praise for the fact that Mary Roots enjoyed her birthday earlier this week. She turned 99. Thank you to so many of you for sending her birthday cards. It really meant a great deal to her and to her family. We also are giving thanks and praise that God is a God of healing and a God of mercy. And so, Randy Reinhart, we are in prayer for your brother-in-law, John, as he is battling pancreatitis. And we are also in prayer for the people of Christ Church, New Zealand, who underwent that terrible earthquake. We're also thankful that God brings us into our kingdom, into God's kingdom and takes care of the families who weep behind. So, Jane Peterson, we weep with you about the loss of your mom, and we're thankful that your family will be able to gather over Thanksgiving weekend to remember her life. And in the meantime, may you know the peace and the blessing of Christ, all of you. And also we are in prayer with Jeff and Pem Tyler, because Jeff Tyler's mother also joined God in the kingdom this week. And also Margaret Kilmer's brother joined God in the kingdom this week. We are thankful that God is so gracious to each one of us, wiping away every tear. Thank you, Carrie. Please join me in prayer. Timeless God, we've come to worship today. We've lifted some adoration and praise with our songs and our prayers and our meditation. But we need to be consoled and challenged. We pray for those who grieve especially. We pray that you will comfort them with the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray for those who need healing, and not just healing in bodies, but also healing in relationships. We thank you, O God, for the days we have been already given, the discoveries and the opportunities and the experiences of our lives to make your kingdom a reality. We pray for those for whom the reality of a kingdom almost paralyzes them, We pray for those who live so frantically and fearfully or fretfully that they miss the gifts and the blessings and the opportunities that are before them. We pray that in some special way we might begin to make your kingdom come here as close as our own families. And so in that hope, we pray for that vision using the words Jesus taught us, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. And we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Officially, we have some action to take as a congregation. That's to elect some new officers. And we thought that this would be the right place to do it. Uh, the meeting should be opened with prayer. And since we have just prayed, we will consider the meeting open. I would ask for a motion and uh, that Sonia Poe be uh, elected as the clerk for this meeting. Moved and seconded. All those in favor say aye. Opposed say no. So it is. The chairman of the nominating committee, Mr. Bill Smith, is here to bring your report. Okay. Thank you, and good morning. The first item is the uh, approval for the nomination committee. And the nomination committee consists of Bill Smith, elder and chair, Len Parker, deacon, Betsy Wilson, elder, Luke Wright, trustee, Elizabeth Kakanis as at-large, Dan Harrison, at-large, uh, Stacy Leland, at-large, Beverly Pollock, at-large, Tom Thompson, at-large. If these are here, would they please stand? Okay, thanks, Luke. All right. That constitutes the nominating committee for approval. Okay. That comes as a motion. It doesn't need a second since it comes from committee. Additional nominations you would like to make from the floor? No volunteers. Seeing none, I would ask for a motion that these people be elected by acclamation. I heard a motion and a second in that. Any objection? All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed say no. It is so ordered. Thank you very much. Thank you. Moving along, nominating committee uh, proposals for uh, session. And I will list these by uh, their uh, term of service. And most all are three years through 2019. If there's a different one, I'll give you that date. New elders, Tracy Kimball, uh, Kim Tinder. If anybody is here, please stand. Um, Kim Tinder through 2018. Andrea Wright, to, um, Gretchen Bartosh. Jane Vessling. Jane is here. Uh, Sam Huang. And uh, Vince Harper. And David Klein. That's for session. Shall I continue with the other candidates as no, well? No, I think we need to take action okay. separately. Siri Adam. Um, the floor is now open for any other nominations for the Office of Elder for these classes. Bruce, I have one comment also. We have a youth elder for two-year service for 2018. We'll take that nomination now. Okay. Tristan uh, Bachman. Any other nominations from the floor, either for youth elder or elder? Okay. Seeing none, I would ask for a motion that these persons be elected unanimously. I heard the second. All those in favor indicate by saying aye. aye. Those opposed say no. It is so ordered. Good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Four trustees, Dan Fox, class of 2017, Kate Agru, Carolyn Hill, they're present, please stand, thank you, um, uh, Will Irwin, 
Aaron Reichman and Just Dave Brewer. Just so that you know, Will Irwin is back in the narthex. Okay. <laughs> Got him. With baby. He has his hands full. Uh, and Dave Bruins. Okay, that's it. Okay. Floor is now open for nominations for Office of Trustee. Seeing none, I would entertain a motion that these persons be elected unanimously as well. I heard the motion and the second. Any additional discussion? I assume you're ready to vote. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Opposed, no. It is so ordered. Thank you. Deacons, Dana Adams, Verona Chung, Lisa Hughes, Margaret Clymer, Bill Murray, Norma Ryther, Sandy Seacant, Tom Thompson, Ed Oliver, Sue Oliver, Dick Cavett, and Adian Bachman. That's it. Okay. Floor is now open for receiving nominations for the office of deacon. Seeing none, I would entertain a motion that these persons also be elected unanimously by the will of the congregation. There's a motion. Is a second? Any discussion? All those in favor, say aye. Opposed, say no. I think we've completed your business. I'd like to say thank you to... Uh, the nominating committee for all the calls that were made and all the members we called, taking the time to talk or listen to us and sometimes offer suggestions for other people for possibility of positions. So it was a little work, but uh, well worth it and glad to talk with church members. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bill. Mm -hmm. This is an awful lot of work that people don't see. A lot of time where this committee has been busy. And we thank you for all of your wonderful work. I know that you saw that in the bulletin. You wondered how we were going to do that. Something else we also need to do is officially this meeting needs to be closed. So a motion to that effect needs to be received. It's moved and second that we close the meeting of the congregation. Anybody want to object? <laughs> then I will take moderator's prerogative and declare it closed. And with that, we'll move to our closing hymn number 295.
I thought that today we would share the charge together, and the charge that we printed for you is taken, as you can see, from quite a number of different verses and phrases throughout the New Testament. This was the charge that I grew up reciting uh, every Sunday as a boy, and so I thought it would be good for us at the conclusion of worship. Go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak and help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen.